This is the multi-voice text-to-speech podfic reading of Wolf Moon by Maybe Baby Please, composed by Burning Aurora. Sirius will never admit it, not to Peter, not even to James, and certainly not to Remus, but over the years he's chosen a favorite moon. He feels guilty over it, the way nights that bring such pain to Remus have brought such joy to him. Padfoot loves to run, loves to feel the wind in his fur, loves the rat and the stag and the pack, rolling around and around with each other, soaking up all the scents and the dirt and the air. Padfoot loves the wolf, loves the way their noses brush, loves to place his head right on top of the wolf's neck when they're wrapped together at the end of the night. When Remus wakes up in the wolf's place, he stays curled around Padfoot, wrinkling his nose at the smell but too tired and worn to pull away. So it follows, then, that Sirius loves the wolf moon most of all. January's moon comes cold and bright. Sirius can see himself in the clear night sky, reigning over the lesser, duller stars and facing down his father. Even as Padfoot he looks up sometimes, searching for his namesake. Every month has its own feel, and year after year, Sirius has kept careful track of them in a slim notebook he stows under his pillow. He doesn't think too much about why he does it. Some things he isn't ready to learn about himself. Not yet. In March, the wolf becomes more interested in Peter, sniffing him and letting him ride along between fur years. In July, when it's hot, the wolf chases James around and around and around, gleefully dodging James's regrowing antlers. In October, the wolf grows nervous, and the three of them have to work harder than usual to distract him from himself. And in the months when there happen to be two moons, the wolf's anger is almost impossible to redirect. Even James and Peter have noticed the blue moons. The January moon brings a fresh energy. When Remus transforms, it seems to hurt him less, and it's easier to goad him into racing through the woods, and hunting rabbits, and chewing sticks they've snapped off of trees. And when Remus wakes up the next morning, he's almost whole. The only bruises and cuts are the same as the ones Sirius has, from errant branches and tumbling together. Sirius pulls out his wand and they heal immediately. As December comes to a close, Sirius awaits the wolf moon. The air, cold and wet, feels just about ready to brighten and clear, right before February rolls around and it all goes miserable again. Yule passes, as does the Muggle New Year which Lily makes them all celebrate with drinks and hats and noisemakers like she does every year. You're meant to kiss someone at midnight, Lily says, throwing an arm around Sirius. Not just stare at them like a little weirdo. She gives him a smacking kiss on the cheek. Sirius licks her in return, all the way from chin to forehead. I'm not staring at anyone, he says, holding her wrists to keep her from wiping her face on her sleeve. He's not that strong, though. Or maybe he's just too drunk to keep her trapped, because she pulls away immediately. You keep telling yourself that, she says, tilting her head over to where Remus pours cheap champagne into an odd red plastic cup. Sirius has not figured out some of the muggle contraptions. That's what he was staring at, of course. Just the cups. Ignoring Lily, as he often does, Sirius scans the room for a new conversation partner. Someone that won't call him out over things that aren't even true. But as midnight ticks closer and the designated kiss time creeps up on them, all of Sirius's friends have coupled up. He could go over and bother James and Regulus. But he's trying his hand at being nice to his brother these days, 
so he lets them have their moment. Sirius drains his cup and ambles over to Remus. He feels incredibly awkward, though he can't quite figure out why. He's dying to transform into Patfoot, but there are too many people at this party, and if he hasn't given himself away thus far he's certainly not going to do so now. Frank's an aura now, and Sirius admittedly has a loose grasp on the legal system as a whole, but he thinks Frank might be obligated to report an unregistered animagus if one had the audacity to transform right in front of his face. Sirius, Remus says. Remus has had quite a bit to drink, it seems, and he's working his way through another bottle of. Well, it isn't champagne, is it? It's Prosecco. Given the choice, Sirius prefers Cava but he's not about to say that here. Lily will hunt him down and tease him mercilessly for even knowing the difference at all. Remus grabs Sirius by the shirt, wobbling just a little. Have you had any champagne, Padfoot? It's amazing, he says, leaning in close. It's ten minutes to midnight, and Sirius looks straight at Remus's mouth and realizes just how badly he wants to kiss him. He freezes up. What's wrong? Do you not like champagne? asks Remus, his brow furrowed. He looks so concerned, it's adorable. Sirius has no idea what to do. Um, no, I mean, not champagne, it's Prosecco. I mean, I did like it, I'm just going to go get some more. Sirius stammers, gesturing towards the opposite corner of Lily's flat. He speeds off. Wait, Padfoot, the champagne's over here. Remus calls after him, holding up his cup. Sirius doesn't turn back. He makes it to Lily's bedroom and shuts the door, breathing heavily. He wants to kiss Remus. Fuck, how could he have never realized that he wants to kiss Remus? Of course he does. Of course he always has. That's why he's spent the past thirteen years clinging on to Remus's every word, unable to sleep if he isn't around, unable to breathe properly when he gets too close. He stays in the bedroom for a while, attempting to have this particular gay crisis both quickly and privately. If Remus saw him right now, he'd be able to see right through him, alcohol be damned. Sirius takes deep breaths, like his mind healer always suggests. Maybe he'll just do it. Maybe he'll just walk out there and tell Remus and kiss him when the clock strikes midnight and... 10. 9. 8. 7. It takes Sirius a minute to realize they're counting down. He throws open the door and wades through the sea of embraces. Six. Five. Four. He sees the back of Remus's head, but Remus has his arms around someone else. Sirius comes to a full stop. Three. Two. One. Sirius watches, helpless, as Remus leans in and kisses some man who isn't him. It might be that guy from Lily's yoga class. Sirius forgets his name. Ben? Bob? Barry? He's never hated the guy, always thought he was nice but forgettable. Now he wishes he could yell, scream, kick Bo out of the flat. He takes deep breaths again. It doesn't help. An arm wraps around him. It's Lily again. Don't worry, darling. Benji's much too serious for someone like Remus. She smiles to herself, leans her head into his shoulder. Or, maybe, he's not quite serious enough, she says, her free hand covering a giggle. 
Sirius rolls his eyes, even though he typically loves that joke. Thanks, Lils. But I'm not. He shakes his head. I'm not going to get in the way. Lily frowns. I don't think you'd be getting in the way. Sirius lets out a sigh. I'd really rather not. And this feeling, whatever this is, it'll go away. It'll pass on its own. Well, it might anyway. That makes Lily laugh, the way she laughs at James when he says something stupid. She pats him on the back and walks off. Sirius stands there for a minute, feeling like a supreme idiot. Then he nicks a bottle of gin and proceeds to get as drunk as he possibly can before he has to go back to the flat he shares with Remus and the singular wall in between their bedrooms. When Sirius wakes up on January 1st, he finds he's somehow managed to make it back to his own flat, but not his own bed. He's still in the same clothes he wore last night, still covered in glitter, sprawled across the couch. His head hurts, his right leg has fallen asleep, and he can't fully open his right eye. Also, there's a rather blurry man standing in his kitchen. Hello, croaks Sirius, massaging his right eye open. His eyes focus. Oh fuck. His heart drops through his feet and onto the floor, a little bloody puddle next to his discarded boots. Benji from Lily's yoga class stands in front of their kettle, looking ridiculously chipper. He's fucking whistling. Oh, hi there, Sirius. Didn't see you. Good night. Sirius squints. Um, yes. He hadn't, of course, but he's not going to tell Benji about it. Lovely, says Benji, beaming. He's so bright it hurts. You don't happen to know how Remus takes his tea, do you? Benji asks as he sets out two mugs. He's managed to find the right cabinet on the first try. Even Sirius can't always find the mugs. Remus loves to reorganize and tends to move them around every few weeks or so. Seething, Sirius decides how he wants to answer. He could tell Benji that Remus likes his tea oversteeped and black. And then, when Remus gets all grumpy, Sirius could swoop in with the right tea and save the morning. But that wouldn't be the right thing, and Sirius has resolved to do the right thing. He likes it with a lot of milk and a little sugar, Sirius says, resigned. He's practically a saint. Now Benji will wow Remus with the tea and they'll fall in love and get married and Remus will move out and Sirius will be all alone, making just one cup of tea for the rest of his sorry little life. Or something like that. Benji hits him with that giant smile again. Thanks, Sirius, he says, pouring hot water. Sirius sort of hopes he'll burn himself. He doesn't. Sirius watches Benji carry a perfect mug of tea into Remus's room. His churning stomach might be the hangover. Probably not, though. Sirius rolls over and buries his face in one of the couch cushions. This whole interaction has been exhausting, and frankly, demoralizing. He'll just go back to sleep. When he wakes up, Benji will be gone, and everything can go back to normal. The sun rises while he sleeps, and at some point when it's on its way back down, Remus pokes him in the chest. Sirius startles awake blinking up at the face leaning over him. You ought to just take a hangover potion, Pads, says Remus, holding a vial out to him. James and Reg want to go to the pub. Oh, okay, says Sirius, taking the potion and grimacing as he swallows it down. Gross, as always, but effective. And you could do with a shower, says Remus, wrinkling his nose. 
you're fully covered in glitter. Might be a bit much for our local. Sirius holds a hand to his chest and gasps. Remus Lupin, are you trying to dull my sparkle? Remus laughs at that, head tilted back. Sirius tries not to stare at his throat, tries not to imagine how his hand would look around it, tries not to think about how the skin tastes. He mostly fails. I would never, Pads. Leave the glitter. I can smell you from up here, though. You smell like a distillery, Remus says, resting a hand on Sirius's head and rubbing his thumb back and forth. Fine, fine. Soap it is. Sirius grumbles. He stands up and walks towards the bath. He's undressed, about to step in the shower, when he considers something. Hey, Mooney. He almost can't bring himself to say it. Is Benji coming to the pub tonight? Remus's voice comes in muffled from the other room. Absolutely not. I'm really hoping to avoid him, actually. Oh, yeah. Asks Sirius. That bad, then? He pauses before running the water, waiting for Remus's response. That bad. Abysmal, even. Remus replies. Sirius can picture him rolling his eyes. He smiles. Oh, that's unfortunate. Sirius says, trying to keep the grin out of his voice. He turns on the shower and lets the hot spray hit him in the face. As the full moon approaches, Sirius can't stop acting strange around Remus. He thinks Remus might have started to notice, but hasn't said anything about it. Sirius feels terrible, really he does, but he just can't shake his feelings. Rage boils up inside him when he spots Remus talking to one of James's Quidditch teammates at the pub, or Peter's friend from The Prophet, or Benji, once again, even though it's clear Remus wants saving from that conversation. Merlin, says Remus, dropping into the seat beside Sirius. Could you not see me making help me eyes at you? That was excruciating. He steals a chip off Sirius's plate. I thought you looked very engaged. You were nodding along and all, says Sirius, intent on spelling the coaster green. He turns it a very nice shade of mint before Remus catches on. Remus slaps a hand over his. Stop breaking the statute, Padfoot, he says, but he's smiling, so Sirius knows he isn't really mad. Remus never does mind breaking the rules, he just likes to put up a fuss. I can't believe he just showed up at the pub like this. Remus continues, grabbing the coaster and flipping it between his fingers. I've been ignoring his owls and flu calls for two weeks. Well, you're pretty irresistible, Mooney, says Sirius, meaning it with his whole heart. He puts his hand on the table, flexes his fingers, thinks about reaching out to grab Remus's and interlace them together. He doesn't, because if he did, he'd have a difficult time letting go. Yeah, yeah, that's what you say, says Remus, nudging him with his shoulder. But he's gone slightly pink, and he has a pleased little look on his face that Sirius hardly recognizes. He'd like to put it there again, though. They go home together that night. Not together together like Sirius would like, but at least it's just the two of them, and they spend the rest of the night sitting on the couch. Sirius tries to work the muggle television, and Remus has to step in when he inevitably fails. Remus sets them up with a sitcom that really isn't funny. They sit too close together, and their shoulders brush when they laugh. Sirius might explode if he has to spend one more second so close to Remus when it isn't enough, when it will never be enough. You've been jumpy lately, says Remus, observant, not accusing, 
as he fries eggs for the both of them the next morning. How has the mind healing been going? Sirius stills as he pours hot water, accidentally lets it overflow, and lets out a curse when it burns his fingers. He heals his hand quickly, but not fast enough to get past Remus, who strides over to have a look. I'm fine, lies Sirius. Just tired. Not sleeping well. That part's true enough, at least. He hasn't had a good night's sleep since Lily's party. Remus nods. If you ever need me to stay in your bed with you, I'm always happy to, you know, he says. He puts a hand on Sirius's shoulder, catching his eyes. Whenever you need. Merlin, how Sirius needs. Sirius needs Remus in his bed like he needs the warmth of their shared flat, like he needs all his healing spells he's so painstakingly learned, like he needs three cups of tea to get through the day after the full. He can't ask for it, though, doesn't know how. Maybe there's something wrong with him. Maybe he's more damaged than the mind healers can ever work out. Maybe he's just a coward. Yeah, I know, says Sirius, staring at his healed hand. He clenches it into a fist, turning it back and forth. It looks good as new. His healing spells are perfect now. He doesn't sleep that night. He doesn't call Remus to his room, either. He can hear rustling on the other side of the wall. Remus lays awake as well. It would be so easy. For some reason it isn't. The wolf moon falls on a Wednesday this year, which means both Remus and Sirius will have to skip work on the Thursday. Sirius's healer schedule is erratic enough that he can usually slide in a day off here and there. Remus used to have more problems, but he is distinctly unaware that Sirius bought the bookshop where he works and gave him mandatory holidays after every full moon plus two in October. Sirius probably should have realized he was in love with Remus then, when he paid thousands of galleons for a store that only loses money. But what does money mean to a black? Only what it can do, and it can do a lot for Remus. It's a restless day leading up to the full. Sirius and Remus drive out to the country. James and Peter joke around in the back seat, but Remus barely joins in. He's lost in thought the whole drive and Sirius can't help but stare at him when he isn't looking. Which ends up being the whole time, really, because Remus is an excellent driver and stays fully focused on the road. They drive so far out that all the roads turn to dirt, and then they keep going beyond where there are roads at all, only the tire tracks left by their car on previous journeys. The air feels clean, so far from the city and the smog. When Sirius steps out of the vehicle, he leans back and breathes in deeply letting the cold fill his lungs. He turns to Remus and finds Remus already looking at him. They smile at each other, shy. Something passes between them, but Sirius couldn't say what. The crisp early afternoon turns to a chilly evening, and the moon begins to rise in the sky. Padfoot changes before the rest of them, running circles around everyone and barking his head off. There's no one else to hear him, not outside of his friends. James laughs and barks along and lets Padfoot bowl him over to lick his face. When it comes time for Remus to change, Padfoot holds still. He always sits near Mooney's feet during the transformation, ready to race off together into the moonlight. Today, the wolf emerges more quickly than usual, and they're off running right away. The stag and the rat follow behind as the wolf and the dog race each other around the fields. Padfoot tackles Mooney, or tries to. 
The dog never seems to remember how much smaller he is than the wolf. He bounces off, sort of, but the wolf rolls with him, and then they're tussling and nipping at each other. The stag joins in, knocking the dog off with his antlers. Usually, the wolf finds this game to be great fun. He loves to toss the dog around. Not tonight. Tonight, he growls at the stag, advancing towards him. Alarmed, the dog puts himself between the wolf and the stag. He runs up to the wolf, placing a paw on top of one of the wolf's, a particularly human gesture. He brings his face into the wolf's chest, listening to his heartbeat. Fast, loud, grounding. They stay like that as the stag, pouting, slinks off back to where the rat watches it all. Padfoot can hide his emotions, not like Sirius can. He licks the wolf, rubs up against him, combining their smells just right. The wolf stays calm and wraps its front legs over Padfoot. They collapse together, fully entangled, breathing even and in sync. Padfoot makes little whining, snuffling sounds, thrilled to be nearly squished. Together they fall asleep just like that. The stag and the rat transform back into James and Peter while the wolf and the dog sleep peacefully. James and Peter have never seen them sleep like this before. They're usually too busy burning off energy. Shrugging their shoulders, they conjure a note to put on the windshield and apparate home. When Patfoot wakes up, Remus has changed back. He sits there, unmarked with any new cuts or bruises, and stares at the dog. Patfoot likes to play with Remus, too, but even in dog form he can read Remus's expression, so he turns back and sits up. Remus, what's? Sirius says, but Remus cuts him off, a pained look on his face. I'm so sorry, Sirius. I thought I would get over it, but I haven't, Remus says, his shoulders hunched. He looks down at his lap. Sirius goes cold. Has Remus found him out? Is he about to be rejected? It feels unfair. He never got the chance to say it, to show it. No, Mooney, he says, and Remus hunches over just a little bit more. No, it's me who should be sorry. Why should you be sorry? I'm the one with these, these feelings for you, and I can't stop them, and now you look like you're about to jump out of your skin every time you see me and you won't sleep anymore but you won't let me take care of you and you, says Remus, but now it's Sirius's turn to cut him off. You're not the one with feelings, Remus. I'm the one with feelings. I'm the one that stares at you like a weirdo at parties and can't be around you without wanting to touch you and can't sleep without you. I'm the one, Sirius says, all in a rush. I'm the one that loves you. A slow grin has spread on Remus's face. No, Sirius. I'm pretty sure I'm the one with feelings. I'm the one that loves you too. Sirius's eyes go wide. You. He's too shocked to go on. I love you, says Remus, and grabs both of his hands. Their eyes lock together. Oh, says Sirius, breathless. Remus leans in. Yeah, oh he says, and then he kisses Sirius. Sirius leans into it. He's terrible with words, maybe, but this he's sure he can do. The morning after the transformation, Remus's mouth tastes like grass and salt and metal, and it's wonderful. Sirius licks into it. Will it taste different every other day of the month? He intends to find out. He doesn't realize he's pushed Remus over, crawled on top of him, put a hand to his neck until Remus growls and rolls them over. Then it's Sirius with his back in the dirt, 
a tongue down his throat, the blood supply to his brain cut off just so by Remus's large, callous hand. How funny, for someone whose hands only touch books and tills and cups of tea. They press into each other like they're trying to enter each other's skin. Sirius might be trying, actually. He'd live inside Remus if he could. It's perfect, but he can feel Remus shivering on top of him, no longer kept warm by the wolf's thick fur. Sirius pushes Remus off, careful, only ending the kiss when he has to speak. Back to ours, yeah? We can continue this at home. Remus nods and practically sprints to the car. It's a long ride home, even though Remus drives over the speed limit for perhaps the first time in his life. They're both a little frantic. Sirius catches Remus looking over and over. But they make it home in one piece, and into their shower to clean up, and into Sirius's bed together, where they should have been all along. Finite Thanks for listening to this text-to-speech podfic composed by Burning Aurora.